Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. So this week's guest is Juliet Reeves. Um, She's been a hygienist for 40 years. Mm -hmm. She's worked across several dental practices in that time. She's been involved in dental societies and associations. Your practice experience is very much dependent on the support staff around you. You can have the most beautiful practice with all the latest equipment in the world, but it's the staff that make the practice. And again, I'm very lucky across the three practices that I work in. She's currently a trustee for the Oral Mm -hmm. Health Foundation. She's got a very keen interest in nutrition uh, and the relevance and the context within general and oral health. When I was looking for this alternative pathway, Little did I realise it was going to come into my treatment. You know, I realised this is what I need to bring into my work as a hygienist and transform the way that I work. And I absolutely adore my job. Yeah. So it changed everything for me, not by leaving the profession, but by bringing something else in, um, which made me feel, yeah, I'm doing the best for my patients. Yeah. We can't wait to explore these passions (laughs) with you, Julia. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Oh, hello, Julia and Josh. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this today. So thanks for having me. Well, we're very excited to have you here. So like I said, you've been a dental hygienist for 40 years. And um, perhaps think back to your early days Mm -hmm. in your dental career and and think of three words that might describe that, that early time in your career. Absolutely. It really doesn't feel like 40 years, I can say that. So that means I've had a whale of a time and I'm, you know, really enjoying myself. In my early years, I would say it was very exciting. I was very keen, but I was also terrified at the same time as well, having just come out of school and Seeing your first patient on your own, it, yeah, it was. It was exciting but terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think a lot mm. of people would resonate with yeah. that terrifying. So perhaps mm-hmm. let's tease that word mm. out because I think we are all excited. We all think yes. that we can create the nation of wonderfully dentally healthy people. But perhaps talk us yes. through the um, terrifying, the terrifying word. Bit. It really was simple things like am I going to bring the patient back or not? Have I got this diagnosis correct? Is that what I think it is? Or is it something else that I'm missing? It's all that uncertainty because you don't have those years of looking at the tissues and knowing exactly what it is. And that's that's really where the terrifying bit came in. I was very lucky though, because I worked, all the practices I've worked in, have always, I've always had a very good supportive team. And that's what you need when you when you're first qualified. You need good mentorship and you need a good supportive team. Somebody that you can just, say can you look at this and tell me you know what you think yeah and if you've got that it really really helps yes and Um, lucky if you find it early in your career absolutely and I I think I've been very lucky across my career um, in always having good support absolutely Mm. so following on from that you've obviously worked in many different Mm -hmm. places throughout your career um, so you can, can you tell us about the differences between those different places that you've worked in? Yeah, absolutely. When I first qualified, I was in my 20s and straight into NHS practice, which most of the practice were then at that time. And this would have been in the 80s. Um, completely different experience to working in, in private practice. So really busy, 20 minute appointments, turning it all around, filling all the forms in. Um, and I, I did enjoy it, um, but it was hard work because we, we didn't have... Um, as as many responsibilities as we do now and and our scope of practice wasn't as wide Mm -hmm. but it was still quite intense and hard work 
further on down the line, I think I spent about uh, 15 years in the NHS. So I kind of felt like I'd paid my dues, <laughs> I'd done it. Um, and then I wanted to kind of expand a little bit more. And I was really interested in the chronic perio side, always have been happy as Larry if I'm up to my neck in, in blood and bullets, <laughs> you know, muck and bullets, love it. So I went into private practice at that time. Um, and that was a different, that was a revelation because obviously we had longer appointments and um, there was more support and more clinical support. Currently, I'm working across three practices um, and they are private practices, but obviously every practice has its own flavor and its own way of doing things. And I firmly believe that your practice experience is very much dependent on the support staff around you. You can have the most beautiful practice with all the latest equipment in the world, but it's the staff that make the practice. And again, I'm very lucky across the three practices that I work in. So I work in two practices that have a practice plan in place. So the patient pays a, an annual, uh, a monthly subscription, and then they get their treatment. And then I work in a fully private practice. And that practice is interesting because that's where I see my direct access patients there. So in that practice, I am able to um, pay a rental fee for the room, and then I see my direct access patients and run it more as my own business. And that's interesting because you make you get to make decisions that perhaps you wouldn't make um, working for somebody else. So I love that. And my other two practices, as I've said, one is a den plan practice and one is a practice plan practice. And again, they work, they run very similarly, but again, it's the staff that make it. So they all have their own personality and you know different feel to them when you walk in. Thank you, that's, that's, that's interesting to see um, different things that you're doing there. So um, you're obviously active in a lot of societies like we talked about, and you are involved in the British Dental Hygiene and Dental Therapy um, Society. Um, and you've held lots of different roles within mm. that group. You've done executive, you've done uh, regional mm -hmm. work, but you're currently now on the education committee. Right. So yeah. perhaps you can tell us what sort of projects they're working on in this society. Yeah, so um, really started off, as you said, at regional group level. <clears throat> I would recommend all hygienists and therapists to be a member of their professional body because they give them so much support. And it's and so much more support now as well. So there's mentoring programs, there's a legal helpline, there's all sorts of things that they can support you with. But also meeting up with your colleagues, particularly if you're the only hygienist in the practice, you need to have that interaction yeah. with yeah. your colleagues. It can be a lonely time, can't it, when you're in absolutely a and solo also, hygienist in the practice? Yeah, absolutely. And also sometimes you might be thinking you're the only one who's feeling this way or, or not recognizing that or worried about something and actually it, it's right across the board and you yeah. can talk to somebody about that. Yeah. So regional group meetings at the BSDHT, my particular region had a, had a vacancy for the secretary and I thought okay well I quite, quite fancy that and I loved it, you know, had a great time and that just kind of naturally led on to other opportunities. So start at a regional level if that's what you're interested in and then the other opportunities will come to you. Um, to be able to be involved at executive level or you know national level, and yes. that that was like a, a natural progression really. And so after many years of working on, on that level, I was then invited to work on the education panel. So this was a new group. It was set up in 2016, I think. So it's been around for a little while. And our remit really was to try and get some um, regulation of the quality of the CPD that both the BSDHT were putting out 
but also BSDHT have an accreditation program. So if anyone wants to create um, a, a program or a lecture or a course and they want it CPD um, accredited, the BSDHT can do that for you. And that's one of the things that the um, education panel do. So we don't look at, because we're not specialists in all subjects, yes. we don't look at the content, but we look at the way in which it's put across. Are there adequate references, the quality yeah, of the references? I'm, I'm, we all want to have good quality Absolutely. CPD, exactly. don't we? Yeah. So, I mean, actually, yeah. if somebody's fighting our corner for us and making sure yeah. that as a society, mm. things are being produced yes. appropriately, that's, that's, a, Absolutely. that's and, a great project. And even down to getting the certificates properly because we know the GDC have very specific requirements. Yes. Getting, looking at that um, so that there's not difficulty when we then put our CPD into the GDC. Yeah. So that's one of the projects. So it's just um, looking at the BSDHT regional group lectures and education right through to the oral health conference. So yeah. we, we, we look at the presentations there and then independent lectures and things coming in from other people as well. So that's quite an interesting thing yeah. to do. Yeah, no, and I, th I think members, you know, sometimes these things aren't always seen, are they? So it's, yeah. it's nice to hear these things firsthand. Lots of hard work behind the scenes. I can imagine. Yeah, and one of the most exciting things that is really new that we're doing now is we've put together a course for presenters, for would-be presenters. Um, so a group of us, very seasoned presenters, <laughs> have got together and uh, backed by the BSDHT and we're going to put on this presenter course. So we're going to teach our young um, you know, uh, colleagues who wish to present or share their knowledge how to create a presentation. That is super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's really investing Absolutely. in the young, in the, the early years of people's yeah. careers, isn't really it? really important. How to formulate their title. And also, again, thinking about the GDC requirements, how to, what's the difference between a learning objective, a learning aim, and a learning outcome, and how to write those. Yeah. And then also practical things. So when I first started lecturing, that would have been about 20 years ago, um, I remember being very nervous and giving my lectures all from up here at the top of my voice and not breathing properly <laughs> and not knowing how yeah. to stop and take a breath and breathe from the, you know, the stomach. Yes. And so we're teaching them breathing techniques and presenting techniques. And that's going to be great. So that's coming up in um, June, June 25th. So we're really looking forward oh, to Best to of luck with that. that project. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. So you said you started off kind of locally and then got to more senior levels. I'm mm. quite interested those projects sound like a lot of work. How much of your time does it end up taking once you get to these kind of higher positions, so to speak, yeah. or these more involved positions? Um, it, it, can, it can be busy. You definitely need to allow time for that. At the time um, that I was involved on regional level, the work would come in in phases, in blocks. So just before a regional group meeting, probably a month leading up to that, it would be full on busy. And so it would come in in stages. So it wasn't all the time and you'd be able to plan for that. You mm -hmm. knew that was coming. So you would just allow, make sure you had time free to be able to do that. Yeah. When we get onto the oral health conference, again, there's a large panel of us now on the education panel. So the presentations that need to be reviewed, they're farmed out to all of us. So we generally may get one or two. So yeah. it's not the whole it's conference. Bad, yeah. And again, before the oral health conference, you know that's coming. So you, again, can just put some time aside. So it, it, do, it does work. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You just need to get that balance. Absolutely. Yeah, just planning, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, so, so changing kind of direction mm -hmm. a little bit. So uh, when we spoke to you before this, you mentioned that you'd achieved the uh, AIDA Implant Auxiliary oh, Certification. Yes. 
So um, I think that's really interesting. I've never really heard about that and I right. looked into it a little bit more. So can you just tell us a little bit about that and how you managed to, yes. to complete that? So there is a story behind that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this we like a story on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. So 2012, take yourself back to 2012. Yep. Uh, so what, 10 years ago now? And um, a patient walked into the practice, into my surgery and said, oh, I just want to give you this and handed me a big panoral x-ray. And I thought, okay, that's handy. Lifted it up to the light. <laughs> I looked at it and thought, okay. And it was in those days, um, particularly in America, they used to plant and one implant for every tooth. Yep. So this chap had like eight, seven, six implants in his top jaw every tooth. And I looked at that and I thought, okay, what am I gonna do with that? <laughs> so I then smiled and said, yeah, that's absolutely great. Thought oral hygiene, lots of oral hygiene, lots of flossing, you know, lots of this, lots of that, and then sent him away. And afterwards I thought, do you know what? I should really know about that. Well, you know, I don't want that to happen to me again. I don't want to be in that situation again. I think so there's it, loads of people as well that end up in that position because, like you say, if you you're not placing implants, but no. there's so many of them around now. Everyone's Absolutely. seeing them, and you need to have a bit of an idea at least of of what to do. Absolutely, and and this was kind of 2012, and now they're in everyday practice, but they were just really coming into practice at that time. You know, general practice. So I started reading the literature and the literature at that time was very, you know, there was, there was nothing that agreed with one another, very controversial. <laughs> so that put my head in a spin. And then I went off to Europerio 7 and um, was listening to these, you know, fantastic lectures by the likes of Mombelli and Renvert and Mariano Sands and, you know, all those fantastic people, Todd Berglung, the granddaddy of uh, implantology. And I thought, you know, what? I, I, I understood it and I thought, right, I've got really good information, but I now need to know practically what I'm going to do. And I looked around for courses and the only one I could really find that I liked the look of was the ADIA one, which is the Association of Dental Implant Auxiliaries. So it's run from America and it's a, a part of the ICOI, which is the International Congress of Oral Implantology. So I went over to Florida. Nice. I thought that's where I need to be. <laughs> so I went and I did, it was a three day course, very intense. Loved every minute of it. Slightly different to what we would do in the UK, but I, I could see the difference between America and, you know, Europe. Mm -hmm. Came home, started putting it into practice and thought, you know what, I need to share this. So 2012, end of 2012, started running implant maintenance courses, um, got some companies on board and I ran my last one just before lockdown. So, you know, that's been an absolute pleasure to do that. And having been in implants for so long, um, having been around for so long, <laughs> I saw my first implant in 1981. It was one of those little keys, looks like a radiator key. Yeah. It was one of the first oh, ones. Yeah. So that's how long I've been around. <laughs> And to see how the protocols have changed and to see how the techniques have developed, the materials, the types of implants that we have now has been really great. It's been a very exciting journey to watch that. And of course, to be able to pass that information on to our younger ones coming along. And even now, I think they're still very nervous about implants and we still need to be running these courses to give them the confidence that they do actually know, but they just need a little bit of guidance. Yeah, so that's the story behind the ADIA. Yeah, 100%. So we do, I do some work with um, Dental Foundation trainees. Yeah. And we're talk, always talking to them about what kind of stuff they want covered. And yeah. it's always 
I see patients with implants and I don't, yes. have the, I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's great to be sharing that with everybody. And like you say, the whole dental team, it's not just... Yeah. Any and we're seeing so person. many more, like you say. Absolutely. I mean, every week every somebody's attention. kind yeah. of coming in with something, aren't yeah. they? So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, moving sort of slightly sideways to something else that you're very passionate about, and that's clearly nutrition. Yeah. Um, I would consider you um, as <laughs> an authority in this subject. You. So, you know, really, I, I think this whole nutrition, mm. periodontal um, disease slash health. Yes. Can you perhaps tell us how you got first interested in that sort of subject? Yes. So again, another story. <laughs> 1993. It's not a very inspiring start, I have to tell you. <laughs> so I'd been qualified. I qualified in 81. So I'd been qualified over 10 years, working away and kind of getting a little bit disappointed that some of my patients weren't responding clinically to the treatments that we were providing them, even though the oral hygiene was good. Uh, particularly youngsters who were getting gingival recession and they'd say well what can you do what can you do and I think well they they can't brush more and they can't floss more because the teeth are clean so yeah but why is why am I getting recession what can you do and I used to think well what can I do you know I can monitor it yeah but what if it gets what I don't know so I started to feel a little bit you know disillusioned really and I thought I was looking for something else so trying to take a step sideways from perhaps you know dentistry and I thought okay what can I do and I saw this course for healthcare professionals it was nutrition I thought okay well I know about that I know about nutrition I'll go along and just refresh my interest and then you know see if if anything resonates with me so what I didn't realize when I got there is I didn't know about nutrition I didn't know about nutrition at all I knew about sugar and caries but I didn't know about nutrition (laughs) and over those that three days the things that I was learning and the things that I was hearing really started to resonate with me and a little light bulb would go off and say, that's what's happening to that patient. That's what's wrong with that patient. Yes. And these little ping, ping, pings kept kind of happening in my head and I thought, okay, this is going to be the thing. This is what I'm interested in. So I then went off and did a two-year diploma course. So a lot of the research in 1993 was relative to dental caries and heart tissues, not the soft tissues. And a lot of the research, particularly around nutrition, was being done on animals, mice and and rats and things. And and although it's interesting, you can't directly extrapolate that to humans. So it was a difficult time and there wasn't much in dentistry. So with this background of nutrition and this chronic inflammation, I started to research and try to pull things together to create a scientific protocol. Because at the time, nutrition was very much alternative medicine and I know we don't realize that now because now it's very much a part of what we're doing but this is 93 94 and it was only really when we discovered probably 20 years ago the systemic oral health connection yes once that happened the mouth came back in the body because prior to that the mouth was kind of a different area over here somewhere it was a different area altogether it wasn't even related so suddenly the mouth came back in the body and then it changed. Then we started to get really good quality research looking at chronic inflammation, oral health and, you know, all the underlying nutrition influences. And of course, you know, you talk about the research element of yes. this, but actually then perhaps with the introduction of all of this, people were looking at their own patients that they'd perhaps seen for a number of years or that mm. they had to talk to their friends about this yeah. patient or or heard about those case studies that 
I, I, I think it, you're right. It was an exciting time and it's just grown mm. and grown and grown. And, and the fact that, you know, here within the Eastman, we're doing research on mm -hmm. the link with Alzheimer's yeah. and periodontal disease. You know, diabetes, of course, has been a very well-established mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, th then. this Eastman, we're, we're doing yeah. really cutting-edge research yeah. on the health of yeah. the body and mm -hmm. the impact that that has on periodontal health. So, it's um, fantastic. yeah, it's, it's nice to see that it's progressed yeah. considerably since yeah. those times um, 20 years ago. Absolutely. And of course, I've been very delighted that Eastman have had me along to do their, uh, to do, to run nutrition courses at the Postgraduate Centre. So that's been really great. And we've always got lots of interest in that. So yes, that was the beginning of my journey, really. Yeah. Looking at um, systemic inflammation. And of course, now we live in the inflammation age, don't we? We understand chronic inflammation so much more clearly now than we did 20, 30 years ago. So I'm interested to know, so how do you, so there's a huge amount of knowledge that you've got now in, in that area. How do you pull that into your everyday practice when you're seeing patients? How does that nutritional link come, yeah. come into that? So I mainly use it for patients who have this very aggressive chronic inflammation. So we know there are patients that have loads of plaque on the teeth, no reaction in the tissues, never get anything wrong. And I, I was seeing a patient the other day and looking at all the plaque on their teeth and thinking to myself, there's no response in these tissues at all. There's no periodontal disease here. Then we get the others, tiny bit of plaque, big response in yeah. the tissues. And you're thinking this is not just plaque control because there's hardly any plaque there. So it's for those patients that we take a more holistic approach that yes, it is about their plaque control, but there's also a lot of lifestyle factors that we now recognize are associated with this chronic loss of tissue, this aggressive type of uh, periodontal disease. And that goes right down to stress, getting enough sleep, you know, getting good nutrition, and you know, controlling the biofilm as well. So our understanding has really opened up since the 80s and 90s. And it's great. It's such an interesting area for our you know, clinicians today because they've got all that background information that's there for them. Um, and it's very enjoyable to do and very, very satisfying. And that's why I'm still a dental hygienist. So when I was looking happy for this- Happy patients make happy I hygienists. And, and uh, you know, all of the other group, you know, I mean, yeah. we're talking to you as a dental hygienist, yeah. but you know, actually ultimately, absolutely. a happy patient does make for a happy yeah. person who's treating them, so. So absolutely, when I was looking for this alternative pathway, little did I realize it was going to come into my treatment. You know, I realized this is what I need to bring into my work as a hygienist and transform the way that I work. And I absolutely adore my job, yeah. So it changed everything for me, not by leaving the profession, but by bringing something else in, um, which made me feel, yeah, I'm doing the best for my patients, yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna ask. Did you ever think about pursuing nutrition and leaving behind dentistry? Was that ever on the on I did the used to do parallel. So I did used to work as a nutrition consultant. Um, at the time, you, using, you wouldn't re realize it now, but in the 80s and 90s, at the time, bringing nutrition in was a little bit controversial. Mm. And it was a little bit like, um, you know, when we first used to do whitening, it, was a, it wasn't a, a, a dentistry, it was not a part of dentistry. It needed to be separated from dentistry because it was, you know, cosmetic. Um, so nutrition was a little bit like that. So I would um, talk to the patients about nutrition and perio in the dental surgery. And then we would arrange for a nutrition consultation at a different time in a different room. That's how it worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then what happened was I started to teach nutrition because I wanted to share this knowledge because I'd had so much success and felt so happy in, in my career. It was a, a real, you know, another 
bow to my arrow to my bow really I was really look, looking um, to be happy to doing that that I started to create nutrition courses and to write and to share this and of course that became very time consuming so I decided there's lots of really good nutrition consultants out there um, that are trained across the board but there's not many people who reply nutrition to dentistry and that's probably where I need to focus so I dropped the general nutrition consulting and then focus specifically on um, teaching nutrition and treating patients with nutrition and also trying to get across the scientist the evidence base the scientific background that it wasn't an alternative treatment and of course now it is very much part of our treatment but back then it wasn't yeah. That must have been mm. very exciting to see that progression. Absolutely. And I can yeah. hear the passion in your voice yeah. there that you are yeah. clearly passionate about it. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So which kind of brings me on to my next question, which is what something, and in inverted mm. commas, um, in the dental industry should we either start doing or stop doing, do you think? I think in terms of, of a clinical level, we need to stop trying to do everything in one appointment. Those days are, are gone. And I can remember as a new hygienist, agonizing over whether to bring a patient back or not. We need to realize you're not gonna get everything done in one appointment. And actually a little bit of tissue resolution in between treatments is, no, is always a good thing. It never did anybody any harm. So never be worried about bringing a patient back. In fact, it can be advantageous to the, to the patient. The thing we need to also start doing is when we see the first see the patient is to let them know right from the off, am I going to be able to do this in one appointment or not? Yes. So not just perio, but I'm thinking about the cosmetic stuff, the staining. And right from the off, I'll look at it and I'll say, wow, there's lots of stain there. We can do something about that, but it won't get done in one appointment. So tell it right from the start. Yeah. Then the patient knows. And then if, if you get it all done and they're happy with that, well, then that's a bonus. They haven't got I to come back. I think we're talking about managing expectations. Exactly, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, um, yes. that, and if they want key. more, then they can choose to come back. So do it right at the top of the appointment. Don't go stressing and working away. And then at the end saying, oh, there's still staying there. You're going to have to come back. Do it right at the top of the appointment. I think that's really great advice yeah. for some of our yeah. um, listeners who yeah. may be listening in the very early stages yeah. of their career. That's that's um, and we've all been there. Yeah, all sweated and you know worked and worked away, and then felt bad that we haven't completed in one appointment. Don't try and do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that classic explanation, not excuse that's phrase, it. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as Julia's already mentioned, Luke's very passionate. You're super keen on sharing all your knowledge with people. So I want you to imagine, I'm gonna give you a big screen and Piccadilly Circus and you can put any <laughs> message that you want on there for everybody to see. Right. What message would you wanna get out to the public? The, health, the message I think would be healthy mouth, healthy body. It, they're both connected. Your mouth is a part of your body. And for years we've had patients turn up and say, yeah, my gums have always bled now. They've always been like this. You know, that's not healthy healthy mouth healthy body that's the connection it's it's part of your overall health the mouth is back in the body yeah absolutely definitely and Mm. it's amazing the response from patients when you start to tell them about the link to Mm. heart disease alzheimer's all these other different Mm. things and then from my experience people do suddenly start taking an interest yeah especially if they've got family history of you know any of those things so absolutely and one of the things i find a really big motivator is actually bleeding scores because we've always been focused on plaque scores my generation bleeding scores 
taking a bleeding score and saying you have a 60% bleeding score and you can see the reaction in their face and that's an indication of how much inflammation is in your mouth and it doesn't just stay in your mouth your blood goes all around your body and then they come back and it's 26 and they you know and that it, it's really powerful um, rather than just plaque scores bleeding scores really powerful for or motivation. just chastising them saying it's not good enough it's bleeding everywhere <laughs> or it's bleeding around your molars yeah. you know yeah. that's not terribly helpful but I, I think the number element I mean that's why mm. one of the reasons why mm. we have continued doing that sort of mm. um, element in yeah. our um, student care really for our important. patients here because I, I think the numbers yeah. mean far more than saying good poor yeah. Needs improving, exactly. you know. Yeah. Oh, words. yeah. I'm, I'm also my generation plant scores the good, fair, poor <laughs> scoring system, which doesn't it doesn't help yeah. anybody, does it? So, no. yeah, bleeding scores are your thing. Mm. So, I sort of started off um, asking um, you to describe three words in your very early years yes. of your career. So, let's fast forward forty years. Yeah. And and I'm hoping that. Those three words <laughs> changed. Terrified, may have changed. Won't be in there anymore. Um, so, so perhaps some. Tell me about your three words for um, yes, your career for now. now. Okay, so you're right, Josh. Terrified doesn't doesn't feature, which <laughs> is good. great. Um, much more confident. Um, very um, happy with what what I'm doing and very motivated. Yeah. So that that's kind of where I am now, and it is it is basically just an experience thing. So for all those hygienists out there who you know may have been qualified for less than 10 years it does it gets better you you know and at the end of the day you still know more than your patients know so even though you feel like you're still missing some knowledge you still have more information and more knowledge than your patient has so always rely on that but it gets better and it gets easier and you will reach a point in your career where you look at something and you know what it is straight away you know it does get better yeah and finding something you're interested in and and yeah. pursuing that. I guess there's yeah. no point in being unfulfilled, doing something mm. that you're not enjoying. And I think you've you've demonstrated there's a few things, a few points in your career where you've had that kind of crossroads and you've identified something different and that's completely yeah. changed things. So identifying those areas and yeah. following those opportunities. Finding out the bit of dentistry that you love and focusing on that and building that rather than looking to leave the profession bring what you love into what you do because ultimately the end of the day when we were students we all loved what we were doing we all loved it it's just when you get out into practice and you know have the pressures of of working to time and you know all the other pressures that come along um find remember what it was that you loved and bring that back into your professional life it really makes a difference yeah so following on from that, a key theme of this podcast is to try and share experiences of clinicians like yourself that have followed those more unconventional pathways, done maybe some different things. And and with that in mind, if there's any colleagues listening that are maybe stuck in a bit of a rut at work, or maybe they've lost that enthusiasm mm. or that motivation, what what advice would you would you give to them? I think perhaps the first thing to do is to look at why are you feeling like that? It could just be the practice that you're working in. It could be that you haven't got the support around you. And as I've said before, it's really all about the team um, and, and finding that, that that your home, where, where your home is, working with people who are like-minded and give you support. 
And I said I have been qualified 40 years and I would say I've been at home in my practices for the last 20 years. So it took me 20 years mm. to find that and it's out there. It, it is there. You just you need to find it. So it might actually be your circumstances. Treating patients every day is very stressful as it is without having practice politics to deal with as well. So we need to work as a cohesive team. And then the other thing to do is to think about the thing that you really loved when you were when you were training, what what is the bit of is it caries? Is it minimally invasive dentistry? Is it perio? Or you know, what is it that you really love? Um, and and focus on that and try to bring that more into your practice. But also seeking mentorship and seeking counselling as well when, when you're very stressed. And um, we know the BSDHT now have a counselling service uh, and, a, and a mentorship service. So sometimes it's hard when you're in the hole to see the light and dig yourself out. It needs somebody from the outside to look in uh, and guide you. But always remember what it was. Why was it you went into dentistry? What was it you loved? Focus on that and try and change that. So you're a um, trustee on the Oral Health Foundation. That's right. And have been for some time now. So yes. talk us through perhaps some of their exciting projects that they're working on at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that a trustee does is mainly governance. Because it's a, a charitable trust, it is governed by the Charities Commission and we need to make sure that we are compliant with their regulations. So that means overseeing the way in which the charity is run, making sure that the charity is financially safe because we're dealing with other people's money, but also making sure that any projects that we get involved in are aligned with the core values of the Oral Health Foundation. Now, that's not to say that we don't know about any of the um, events and the projects that come along. We don't create the events and the projects, but we oversee them. However, we get, we get to get involved in them um, by looking at how it's going to be rolled out, what the uh, resources are. One of the latest ones that the Oral Health Foundation have just launched yeah. is the truth about tooth decay. So this is a hub, it's on their website. And I have to say, if you haven't looked at their website for a little time, go and have a look because the resources are tremendous. The resources are for uh, the public, it's a public facing um, charity, but also they provide resources for the profession as well. So this new um, campaign about the truth about dental decay is really a public facing campaign because yeah. You know, 39% of the adult population don't go to the dentist regularly. Yes. They're not going to hear about decay. And certainly COVID has brought, you know, yeah. this strange thing about COVID, isn't it? Yeah. I've had patients who've come in who've said, because I haven't seen you for a long time, I've been super good. And there've been other patients mm. who've come in and said, I haven't been super good because mm. I haven't been seeing you. Mm. So, you know, there's always mm. a bit of a conflict there. But I think mm. this whole self-care, taking ownership yeah. for your own mouth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, mm. and this is a well-respected, established society Absolutely. that you're a trustee for. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's really good to hear about projects and initiatives yeah. that are um, aligning to really mm. what we all believe mm. in when mm. it comes to mm. good patient care. Mm. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this campaign is really to teach the public. And we, we think we know the public knows that sugar causes decay. But unless they come into practice and they hear us talk mm -hmm. about nutrition, diet, decay, fluoride, they're not going to hear that anywhere else. They might hear it on the odd te television advert from, from our big companies who, you know, absolutely do a brilliant job at getting the message out. But they're not going to hear any joined up information any reliable, really good, reliable information. And so that's what this project is about, getting all that information out to the public. So, you know, 
nutrition habits. Also the fact that their, the health of their mouth is related to the health of their body. Fluoride toothpaste. And another part of this initiative is to teach the public how to use a high fluoride toothpaste. And there's also professional information about that as well. So obviously they've come to the dentist. We've recommended a high fluoride toothpaste, given them prescription and off they go. You don't share it with your family because it's a fantastic toothpaste. It's just yes. for you. It's high fluoride. So it's a prescription medicine for you. So it's really important. And then for the profession as well, there's some fantastic um, fact sheets and guidelines on how to prescribe uh, high fluoride toothpaste. And this campaign has been backed by in partnership with Colgate as well. So when you look at some of the campaigns that the Oral Health Foundation do, they always look after the public, but they also look after the profession as well. Fantastic information there. So that's one of their new ones. Yeah, no, thank you. That's great. So another campaign that, of course, the Oral Health Foundation are very much um, aligned with is the Smile Month campaign, which runs from the middle of, middle of May to the middle of June. And the 2022 theme was Every Mouth Deserves a Healthy Smile which I thought was lovely. Um, but the information that they put across this time was really very valid. So looking at nutrition, obviously, and diet and seeing your dentist regularly. But one of the things they did incorporate was how to make dentistry more affordable because we are seeing dental poverty, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. very sad to say. I think that is one of the mm -hmm. legacies that will mm -hmm. come out of COVID. Mm -hmm. Dentistry, mm -hmm. I think, has sadly been a big victim. In and that. Yeah, and we're going to see a lot of poor nutrition and, and all sorts of health problems, I think. And so the advice that was given was, number one, try and establish if you are entitled to NHS dentistry. But secondly, to keep going and seeing your dentist, because we know maintenance is much cheaper than large treatment plans. So I thought that was really a good piece of advice for the public and also to seek out a dental plan so there was some very practical advice incorporated there in the last in the 2022 smile month campaign which i thought was was great well julia thank you so much for coming and sharing um your experiences and your knowledge with mm -hmm. us i'm sure julia will agree we've both learned yeah, a lot and it's been, been a really, really interesting. great to have you here thank, thank you, you. So, I've had a really great time. It's been great talking to you, talking to you about stuff that I love. So thank you for the invitation to speak to you today. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.